0: To love learning. To laugh. To love. To be loved. To see beauty. To understand. To bring grace. To the things
1: that matter most.
0: This is Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra. Welcome to my show. For every life stage, we have questions. Let's enhance our lives together as we explore the things that matter most. This is Alexandra Miller-Clark, psychologist. And through this show, I seek to freely share learning about psychology. Today, we're going to talk about adult ADHD. ADHD doesn't necessarily end with childhood, and it can easily be overlooked in adults as an option for what's going wrong or what's causing pain. Adults with ADHD... Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, are less likely to show the hyperactive part of ADHD. And they're more likely to have problems with impulsiveness and inability to pay attention and an inability to start tasks. We have two guests today. One brave good friend of mine, Tiffany Heineman. Who was willing to come on and talk about her adult ADHD? And we also have psychologist Dr. Heidi Keller, who was on this show once before in a very deep and meaningful episode on the topic of resilience in adults and children. I like to dedicate these shows to nonprofits, and today's show is dedicated to a wonderful organization called Girls on the Run. And you'll learn more about it from Tiffany. I have here with me Tiffany Heinemann, a dear friend for 10 years. We met at a 5K. That's right. I approached you
1: after having moved back into the area. And I had heard rumors that there was a tall woman that runs who is also a tennis player And I wanted to find a friend to play some tennis and you were nice enough to think that that was a friendly gesture and invite me to play pretty much immediately and we were fast friends.
0: We were. I thought it was really great that you came right up to me and introduced yourself at the, um, it was like the Sparta Main Street 5K and I'm so happy that we're friends. And now we're on the same tennis team and we just played a match today. So we are still partially in our tennis gear as we record this episode. So thank you for coming here today, Tiffany. And today you're going to share about your experience with adult ADHD. When did you first figure that out? So I first learned I had
1: ADHD, not just a joke that I would say, oh, I think I have ADHD. I actually was diagnosed when I was in law school, which I was in my mid-20s at the time. And it's amazing that nobody ever caught it any sooner. Maybe nobody really tried. Um, What happened, the way that I sort of caught it, well, I didn't catch it, but I I went to a doctor, was I was in the lecture hall in law school, and the issues that are being discussed and and the subject matter is very complex, and I was having trouble hearing the professor. And I thought that I was losing my hearing. So I went to the hearing doctor, <laughs> the audiologist, or or I'm not sure. But yeah, your nose, and throat. I, you know, I do get vertigo. So I thought maybe it was related to that. And I went and they checked my hearing, said, your hearing is absolutely fine. And I was flabbergasted. I said, how is that possible? I, I truly see the lips move of the professor and cannot hear a word the professor saying. <laughs> <laughs> it was very frustrating. So um the they said, Look, I have an idea. Go to this specialist. So I I made an appointment. Turns out they did a bunch of tests in a dark room. That's really what I remember about it. It was a very dark room. They did some tests. They put something on my head. Um, I guess it check my movement. I'm not sure. Turns out I I don't know how you would describe it, but I failed, I guess, <laughs> the, the, paying attention. And at that point they diagnosed me with ADHD.
0: Isn't that something? And it reminds me of a young man who figured out in 8th grade that he had ADHD and he started taking a medication and he said it was incredible. I heard the teacher for the first time. Yeah. So, but you were a good student.
1: Right. So I guess that would explain why no one really caught it. Um, I always had good grades. Growing up, I was well-behaved. I had good grades. I wasn't a problem child, so everyone thought it was fine. But, (laughs) you know, not everything's what it seems on the surface, right? So, Nobody saw the tears at home. Nobody saw the fights at home. And maybe my parents didn't even think to bring that up to anyone. Um, because again, my grades were good. It was just, you know, one of those little behavioral things at home.
0: Can you describe what that was? Why were there tears? Right. So
1: homework. Uh-huh. <laughs> the the bane of my young existence was the homework Um, I would be up until 1130 at night as a fifth grader, uh, which doesn't sound right, doing hours and hours. And my parents would actually complain that we were getting too much homework. And honestly, looking back, I'm not sure that it was. I just couldn't read a paragraph without going back 10 times and rereading it. And I just remember the refrain of, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I always did it. I always got it done eventually. You know, and eventually I was putting things off even because I just the struggle of trying to focus on something was insurmountable, it felt.
0: I'm feeling for you, but I'm also admiring your perseverance. For anyone you know who might say that ADHD isn't real or it's just a lack of discipline, please share with them that the ADHD brain has anatomical differences that can be seen in brain scans. Specifically, it's been found that in children with ADHD, the left-sided prefrontal cortex is smaller in volume, and also there's a smaller or thinner posterior parietal cortex. And there are differences in the frontostriatal circuits in the brain. Individuals with these brain differences have trouble with their working memory, which is our very, very short-term memory, like less than a minute, not our long-term memory, which is not impacted. ADHD is also strongly linked to genetics, so if you notice that some of your close relatives have it, you're more likely to have it. For example, Fareon and colleagues looked at the results of over 20 twin studies and found that if one twin has it, there's a 76% likelihood that the other twin has it too. I have an intelligent young man as my patient right now. He's in his early 20s, and he's currently coming in and working on forgiveness therapy as part of his general desire to relieve feelings of anxiety. He was sharing with me that one of those things he really struggled with growing up was how his mom, on a weekly basis, would lose very important things. She would lose her keys, her entire wallet, an ATM card, a credit card. And the problem is that she got him involved and dragged him into the chaos and stress of trying to find the object. I said, weekly? And he said, weekly, sometimes twice a week that's a sign of a poor working memory because this mom would put the important object down and not retain in her working memory where she put it and it would be lost. And I said to him, sounds like your mom might have ADHD. And he said, yes, we know she had ADHD, but that's no excuse. I have it too. And I don't do that. First of all, Note that the young man hadn't brought up to me in the first three sessions that he had ADHD. And that's because he didn't think it was important compared to his anxiety. So he was telling it to me as an afterthought and he had found a way to cope with the ADHD and he felt it wasn't significant anymore. And that brings up a good point that adults with ADHD often have other disorders along with it. That's called comorbidities, which can make it difficult to tell what it is. For example, some of the symptoms could be ADHD or it could be depression that's causing the lack of concentration because both will have that as a symptom. So I think it's more often currently that ADHD is the one that's overlooked, but it's most frequently comorbid with mood disorders like depression or bipolar anxiety disorders and substance use disorders. But in the case of this young man, he explained that he never lost his important items because he had a system. When he was out, his wallet always went in his right pocket. His keys always went in his left pocket and His glasses were always on his head, but he never changed it as far as what went to the right, what went to the left. And in his mind, he didn't understand why his mom didn't create the system and cause repeated pain for both of them. When I have a child that comes in with ADHD, I'm aware of and concerned about how if left untreated, it could have a negative impact on their self-esteem, which affects everything else. I tell parents that the problem is kids and teachers are going to get mad at them. The child is going to notice the annoyed facial expressions and if they keep getting up and down and up and down and they're not listening and they keep doing what they're not supposed to do and they're being told don't do it and they do it anyway, that could lead to cognitive distortions in the child like, I'm not good enough or no one likes me. Sadly, research has found that adults with ADHD are more likely than controls to get a divorce. Their inattentiveness to the details of cleaning up after themselves in the break room or the bedroom, and they might not be doing it on purpose, but unfortunately, that could lead the people around them to assume that they are inconsiderate or worse. Barclay and colleagues in the Journal of International Neuropsychological Society found that folks diagnosed with ADHD are significantly more likely to have traffic citations for speeding, crashes, and license suspensions over control groups and that they're less attentive and they make more mistakes in vision-reaction tasks, which affects driving. Individuals with ADHD also have trouble with what's called response inhibition. In other words, situations where you should put on the brakes or you should not do it before you put more time into thinking it through. Sadly, one 2015 study out of Denmark found, well, they followed 32,000 people with ADHD, and they found that folks with ADHD more than doubled their risk of death, mostly due to accidents for risk-taking behavior. In sum, untreated ADHD decreases one's ability to think before saying or doing something, it decreases working memory, it decreases flexibility and emotional control, it decreases one's ability to sustain attention, and it decreases one's ability to initiate tasks leading to procrastination. Biderman and colleagues found that most adults with ADHD have a significantly lower average household income than controls, regardless of academic achievement. So I hope that I've established that untreated ADHD can have a serious impact on adults. And I encourage adults who think that they might have ADHD to get evaluated by a professional and consider the various treatment options, which there are. There is hope. And as mentioned, I've invited expert Dr. Heidi Keller Psychologist to share how she determines if an adult has ADHD. And like I said, later on, I'll share what we can do both naturally and with pharmaceuticals about it. Hello, Dr. Keller. Hello, Dr. Miller. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you again. And I hope that people will check out your episode on resilience because it was excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So how did you get interested in
2: ADHD initially? Well, when my son was young, he's 33 now, but when my son was young, it was clear there was something wrong. Um, He did a lot of things that the other kids didn't do, stood up in his chair in the classroom, ran out of the classroom, uh, poured mustard down the heat controls. Ooh. Don't, don't tell anybody that he did that. Um, <laughs> and so we could tell that something was wrong, but we didn't know what it was. And I wasn't prepared. I wasn't trained yet. And so I didn't know what it was, but we eventually found out that he had ADHD through testing with the child study team. And as he got older, it was very interesting to me to see the changes that happened, mostly after high school. He still struggled with it during high school, but um Once he became an adult, he seemed to be able to channel a lot of his difficulties into successful execution of tasks. And a lot of that was reading. He did a lot of reading and trying to... He did a lot of this himself and teaching himself how to overcome some of his difficulties. So that's how I got interested in originally.
0: So you're saying as a child, he was assessed and found to have ADHD. Right. And... Well, why don't you just tell us more about it?
2: Well, as he got older, he was frustrated by it in high school and in college because he would have a hard time concentrating and sitting still. Um, So he would read books on ADHD. He actually went by himself to the college center and got tested and was found that he did have ADHD, but he didn't want to be treated medicinally. So he just trained himself to do some of the things that I'm going to be talking about.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, so before we get to how he treated himself naturally or without medicine, can you tell us how you would notice that an adult has ADHD in your practice?
2: Well, when they talk about some of the problems that they have, the main thing that keeps uh, standing out is that they have difficulty keeping jobs. They'll go from one job to another. You had mentioned actually some of these things, initiating tasks, or they might start the task and then not be able to complete it. They might have three or four tasks going at once and not be able to complete any of them. Remembering things like missing appointments, they might write them down and then forget to look. They act or speak impulsively, those kinds of things. Okay.
0: So that would be in your initial... Maybe your first meeting with a patient, they would be mentioning these things and you might be thinking, hmm, maybe it's that.
2: Right. It might take a couple sessions, but yes.
0: Yeah. So then what would you do from there? Are there tests that you can give the
2: adult? Well, there are things out there that I wouldn't call them tests exactly. There's something called executive skills questionnaires, and they target the kind of skills that you were talking about. I'm going to mention all of the ones that I found in this book, and'll at the end, I'll let you know what the name of the book is because I'd encourage people to look up more information and get more information on how to target ADHD. Managing it and evaluating it are very closely related. Yeah, One of the things I wanted to say is um, really first, the, the person really needs to want to change. Because if they don't, they won't do the exercises that they need to do. Mm-hmm. So, targeting executive skills—those are some of the things that you mentioned. They're all, skills required to execute tasks. So, you mentioned response inhibition. That's—it's basically impulse control, thinking before you act. You know, like you had talked about. Mm-hmm. You also talked about working memory. Um, that's holding information in your memory while you're performing complete tasks. You know, drawing on past learning to apply to a current situation, for example. And uh, you had mentioned the one mother, you know, with the working memory. Um, She wasn't able to hold the information in her brain of where she had put something. Right. So that that affected her ability to find it. Mm -hmm. Um, Emotional control is one of the executive skills. It's uh, managing emotions in order to achieve goals. Some people, if they get very frustrated or angry, They just say, Oh, forget it, and just say, I can't do this, and just aren't able to do it. Another thing is task initiation. We mentioned that. Um, Basically, without undue procrastination. You know, some people, it takes them a little while to start something, but it's not necessarily a fault of theirs. It's just something, you know, they need to think about, they need to organize it. So it's really no procrastination is part of that. Another executive skill, well, two related ones are planning and prioritization. Mm -hmm. So it's basically creating a a roadmap to try and reach a goal and then prioritize the steps to get there. Organization, creating and maintaining systems to keep track of information or materials. People can, there are all sorts of ways out there that you can organize information, you know, spreadsheets, Mm -hmm. worksheets. And um, in the book that I'm going to mention at the end, they have uh, quite a few worksheets about organization and how to do that same thing with time management that's the next one that's the seventh one Um, basically trying to estimate how much time you have and then how to allocate it and stay within the limits and the deadlines so it also includes the sense that time is important because if you don't really have that sense then you aren't going to prioritize time so people often underestimate how long it's going to take and then they miss some steps when they think about doing it. Right. Uh, goal-directed persistence, that kind of is self-explanatory. It's just, you know, you have something that you want to do and you keep doing it until it's done. Something called metacognition, that's, that one's a little bit tougher. It's basically putting all the pieces together, knowing how and when to use each of the executive skills that's something that people have a lot, uh, a lot of people with ADHD, adult ADHD, have a lot of problems with. The 10th one is stress tolerance. That's a big one. Yeah, it's being able to cope with uncertainty and change and performance demands. Just being able to cope with all of that. Right. Without breaking down. Um, sustained attention is something that you had mentioned, um, staying focused and keep working until the task is done. And then the last one is flexibility. Flexibility is just basically being able to adjust easily to changes and plans. So those are the 12 executive skills that are targeted in this one book.
0: And you're saying this book gives very practical guidelines on how to improve each one of those for adults with ADHD.
2: Yes, and it has the executive skills questionnaire. It has three of them, just a regular one that the person fills out, it has one for in the workplace and it has another one in relationships the one in relationships can be very helpful because the person fills it out for themselves and then their um, significant other fills it out for themselves and then they can um, get together and compare their styles and see you know what things they have similarities in and what things they have that are very different so for example um, I'll just give one. Yeah. task initiation. So either the person follows through on obligations without reminders, or they need reminders to get things done. Um, There are a couple others, but I just want to talk about that one. Um, So if somebody follows through on obligations without reminders, and somebody else in the uh, partnership needs reminders to get things done, then one person can help the other person, because that's their strength. Yeah.
0: I like how they consider that.
2: Yeah, that's a, that can be very helpful. The system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the basic goal in looking at executive skills and then, well, the basic approach is coaching using uh, something called SMART goals. That's a pretty common term in psychology. It stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-based. Yes, So for example, here's one. I will complete an outline for my presentation with a minimum of six bullet points within the next three days. That's a smart thing. That's very specific. Yeah, yeah. and I'll give you one one more. Um, I will paint 10 Christmas ornaments in a total of five hours by Sunday evening. So you give some flexibility in when you're going to do it. So you sit down and you work on it for a couple of hours and you get tired. Um, And then you take a break or you go do something else. Um, and then the next day you do another couple of hours. So you, can, you need to give yourself a little bit of flexibility when you make these goals.
0: Yeah. So out of all of those coping skills, which is your favorite or techniques for uh, adults with ADHD to improve their executive skills? What's your very favorite?
2: Well, I'm going to have to um, refer you to this book because they have so many ways of doing the coaching. It's coaching. The answer to that actually is coaching. It's showing the person what executive skills are, teaching them what the executive skills are, and then demonstrating where they are weak and where they are strong, and then coming up with a specific goal, and it has to be small and attainable, and then working on that, and working on one small goal at a time so that the person doesn't become overwhelmed. Okay, thank you. So what's the book? Well, it's called The Smart But Scattered Guide to Success. And it's by Peg Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N, and Richard Guare, G-U-A-R-E. The copyright is 2016 by the Guilford Press. I just gave a very, very small indication of the information that's in there. And one of the things that they have if you buy the book, they have a link to all of the worksheets so that you can print out the worksheets in a workable form. And so people can pick which worksheets work with which client. You know, you do it in a collaborative way and decide which things they want to work on and first and how they want to go about it.
0: That sounds fantastic. Please say the title one more time in case someone says, oh, now I have to rewind it to get the title. One more time. What's the title? <laughs>
2: Okay, sure. It's The Smart
0: But Scattered Guide to Success. Thank you. And if someone local would like to be coached by you, how can they find you?
2: Uh, They can call my office. I work at the Live Well Psychology Center, and the office number is 973-726-5200 or
0: www.livewellpsychologycenter.com. Right. Well, thank you, Dr. Heidi Keller, for sharing your knowledge with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. Now that we've heard about Heidi Keller's favorite psychological approach to helping adults with ADHD improve one executive skill at a time... We're ready to talk about treatment options involving pharmaceuticals as a different or possibly concurrent option for those interested. Please note that I have no involvement with any pharmaceutical company as I share this information with you about options. If you're interested in the medications I'm about to talk about, you'll need to work with your own psychiatrist Prescribing psychologist for those of you in states that have those, nurse practitioner, general practitioner, one of these, um, to do a proper evaluation to get a prescription for what makes sense for the unique you. I am not against medicine, and I find that medicine can be very, very helpful to individuals with ADHD. It can turn their life around. So, the brain receives a lot of noise in terms of stimuli, and we need to sort through all that noise and choose what's relevant to focus on. This is sometimes referred to as the signal-to-noise ratio. I learned about that from a woman named Judy Steinman, who helped me to prepare for a very big exam I just took on clinical psychopharmacology. It's a national exam, which once you pass that exam, you're eligible to prescribe as a psychologist. So I'm very excited to share that I passed the exam. It was a four-hour exam. It was very taxing. It took months and months and months of study. So I'm super grateful to Judy Steinman for helping me to prepare for that exam. So Judy told me about this thing called the signal-to-noise ratio. When we're stressed or we're depressed, we have even more noise, and it's harder to concentrate on the right or relevant signal, meaning that thing that you should think about rather than all the noise. Dopamine and norepinephrine are two neurotransmitters in the brain believed to be directly responsible for affecting executive function in ADHD, and it also affects our motivation and our sense of reward. If you're low on dopamine and norepinephrine, it can show up as fatigue and as distraction. So individuals with ADHD especially need help with focusing on the right signal and filtering out the noise. Norepinephrine improves our ability to pay attention to things by inhibiting the unnecessary neuronal firing, the noise, and enhancing the relevant signal. Dopamine inhibits excitatory NMDA firing and filters out the irrelevant noise in our brain. Stimulants are drugs that increase your brain's access to dopamine and norepinephrine. Stimulants used for ADHD are basically in two families, either the methylphenidate family, which includes Ritalin, or the amphetamine family, which includes Adderall XR. 70% of those with ADHD respond well to the first stimulant family that they try, meaning they they tried one either methylphenidate family or something from the amphetamine family. 70% of those respond well to it. And if one family doesn't work and they switch to the other family, then you get an 80% response overall, which is really good. It seems that in practice, adults tend to be prescribed Adderall more frequently than Ritalin and the other drugs in the methylphenidate family. Stimulants are considered the first line or gold standard treatment of choice among pharmaceuticals for ADHD. Now, for folks afraid of taking a stimulant because they have a history of addiction or for individuals who have comorbid depression or anxiety... I'd like to share two good options, Bupropion and Atamoxetine. Bupropion, also known as Wellbutrin, that's been used to treat ADHD since roughly 2004 with positive results for adults. This drug helps with increasing attention and decreasing depression at the same time. I find that my patients who take Bupropion for depression they love it because unlike SSRIs, it has no sexual side effects and it gives them a lift in their energy and their ability to concentrate. Atamoxetine, also known as Stratera, that's also an antidepressant and anti-anxiety med and it's been found to help adults and children with ADHD too. But if stimulants were to get an A+, For decreasing ADHD symptoms, I would say bupropion and atomoxetine, they get a passing grade, but not the A. They are considered second line agents to treat ADHD, but they're a great alternative, like I said, for various reasons. Caffeine and nicotine are also stimulants. That's why individuals with ADHD are often known to drink five or six cups of coffee a day and they're more likely to be smokers. They notice that they like how stimulants help them think more clearly. But wouldn't it be better if they took something that is not so harmful and addictive? I do want to mention that unfortunately, individuals whose mothers were nicotine smokers while they had a baby in utero, they're significantly more likely to develop ADHD. The baby is significantly more likely to develop that. So now that we've had a chance to talk about medication options, I want to mention that in my research and preparation for this podcast, I came across a 2017 study by Ng, spelled N-G, and colleagues, entitled Managing Childhood and Adolescent Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder ADHD, with exercise, a systematic review. That's in the Complementary Therapies in Medicine journal in which they did a systematic review of 613 research papers that were published on that topic between 1980 and 2016. In reviewing those papers, they decided that only 30 of them were fit for including in their review. And in analyzing those 30 papers... They concluded that overall physical activity, particularly moderate to intense aerobic activity and what they called mixed exercise, decreased cognitive, behavioral, and physical symptoms of ADHD. Exercise has positive effects on our neurocognitive function and our ability to inhibit responses. Remember response inhibition that we talked about? And this might be explained by, guess what? For most of us, exercise increases dopamine and norepinephrine in our brains. I also want to mention that supplementing with omegas has been found to improve ADHD symptoms. I remember once sharing with a young man that he could improve his cognitive function and decrease his ADHD symptoms if he added sunflower seeds, eggs, organic grass fed dairy, pumpkin seeds, wild caught salmon, walnuts, green leafy vegetables. And then he responded, I'll just take the pill. I'm happy to report that there's a lot of hope for adults with ADHD and they can learn skills and strategies to overcome the symptoms they're struggling with. One of my patients pointed out that Albert Einstein was supposed to have ADHD. I thought that a nice way to finish this show would be to loop back to my friend Tiffany Heinemann to hear her personal story about her own natural non-pharmaceutical approaches to help her with her ADHD at work. My strategy without medication
1: is really mindfulness. Mindfulness. It's really, am I perfect? (laughs) I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. But there are definitely things you can do to adjust your life to how you are. So let me say that again. Instead of trying to adjust who you are to what's expected of you, try to see if there are ways that you can get the same things done, but according to the way that you learn and you work. I know... That I'm really good at focusing in spurts. So I try to set up my work day with spurts of really hard work and then give myself some less demanding concentration time, literally scheduled into my day. I think it's important to schedule breaks, complete breaks, where maybe you go out and, you know, if it's a nice day, you take a 10 minute walk. Or even just sitting there and doing a breathing exercise for 30 seconds, you know, once every 30 minutes. I mean, that could really refocus your mind. Or if you're feeling overwhelmed, sometimes just stop and come back to it. Otherwise, you're just going to create anxiety and self-loathing. Like, why can't I focus better? This is terrible. And honestly, look, some days you're just not going to focus as well as you'd like to. I don't know maybe there are machines out people who are machines out there that have just steady productivity, always constant. I've never met that person. Maybe they exist. But I think it's important to ensure that your re- expectations of yourself are not unrealistic. And so part of what I do is putting things into calendars, putting things into to-do lists. It sounds so corny, um but even just spending five minutes in the morning with your coffee and just sort of plotting out a general idea of some of the things you want to get done. If you don't get it all done, it's okay. But just plotting out some of the general ideas. Part of what happens to me is, and I recently learned this term, it's called time blindness. And, yeah. um, and what that means is you have no ability or a, a, an inability or a um, skewed ability to calculate how long something's going to take you. So the way to kind of combat that for me...
0: Which um, is definitely an increased thing with adults with ADHD. I just want to point that out, not being as aware of time. So go on.
1: Right. Yeah. And it, and it's sort of twofold, right? It's it's when you're planning, kind of planning out, but also while you're doing it, then all of a sudden you lose track of of how much time something has taken you. Um, part of that is maybe an inability to focus too, that you have to keep bringing yourself back, bring yourself back. So... Part of what I try to do is give myself a plan and timing yourself sometimes is helpful too because you can check and say, okay, where am I at? You know, keep, keep kind of bringing yourself out of the clouds uh, because otherwise I'll completely lose track. And, and sometimes I get ambitious, like overly ambitious with how much I think I can get done. It's like this, I don't know, this grandeur idea, like I'm going to do all these, if if I'm feeling good that day, I'm going to do all these things today. So avoid that, you know, sometimes you'll wake up feeling great, like I can conquer the world. I would say, try to keep it consistent. Try to learn yourself. Maybe you don't know off the top of your head, starting out, how long things take you. But as you're going through, maybe time yourself so you can learn how long certain tasks take you. And be kind to yourself. I think, honestly, that's the most important thing. Now, somebody might be listening to this and say, wait a minute. You know, I have this hardline supervisor, this hardline boss. How can you manage that? And maybe I'm the wrong person to talk to you about that because I've had some issues with supervisors in the past about some of this stuff depending on their expectations. I guess the only thing I can say is I've been blessed and fortunate enough to put myself now in a position where I can allow myself to work the way that I need to work.
0: Well, now you have your own practice as an attorney. And I want to mention to the audience that Tiffany Heineman is also the chair of the board of a nonprofit called Girls on the Run. So you're getting a lot done.
1: And in my own practice, again, I'm blessed to be able to make enough funds to fund my life, you know, fund my family, pay my mortgage, you know, but my aspiration, I guess, is not necessarily to make as
0: much money as possible. It's to live my life and be happy. So your mindfulness practice, I wonder if you can tell listeners exactly what you do for that.
1: Yeah, I think meditation the hesitation that a lot of people have with it is that they're not doing it right. And I think the answer is there is no right way to do it. Sometimes it's a matter of sitting down, maybe closing my eyes, and putting my feet firmly on the floor. Sometimes it's that simple and just sort of sitting there. (laughs) Sometimes it includes breath exercises, which actually... Alexandra, I learned from you many years ago. I think you called it square breathing. Yeah. yeah. So I learned that many years ago from you in, in a friendly conversation. And so for the listeners, I'll describe it. It's um, So I take a deep breath in, two, three, four. I hold for four beats. Breathe out, two, three, four. And then I actually hold again for four beats. And I just do that over and over again. And then maybe I only get through, you know, three or four cycles of it. But sometimes if your brain feels like a tornado,
0: (laughs) it calms it just a little bit. That is a way to change the signal to noise firing that we were talking about. Yes. And the other thing that's been found to be very helpful is exercise. And I know that you definitely do that. Yeah. Exercise. It is...
1: A huge help. And I have to say, honestly, similarly to meditation, a lot of people have trouble with exercise because they think, well, I don't have time. Or if I can't get in the full two mile run or three mile run or get in the full 30 minutes of exercise, then I'm not going to do anything at all. I think the answer is any little bit is something. So even if you're in your office or in your, you know, anywhere, right? And you say, you know what? While I'm taking this five minute break, I'm going to put my back against the wall and sit on an invisible chair.
0: And I'm going to do that for 20 seconds. That is something. That is very good for tennis, the wall sit. That's right. Sometimes that's referred to as exercise snacks. Isn't that cool? That term?
1: Break me off a piece of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to end. This part of interviewing you with, if you could share with listeners about Girls on the Run, the nonprofit, what that is. Oh, I could go on for
1: an hour about Girls on the Run, but it's an organization that embodies so many things that I hold dear. But most importantly, it's a girls youth empowerment program that allows us to help these girls Tap into their limitless potential and recognize it in themselves. And it culminates. So it's an organization that has a program, it's a curriculum, and they meet twice a week or so. And there's two seasons a year that's offered, and it culminates in a celebratory 5K. So throughout the season, there are these, you know, curriculum of learning with regard to identification and conflict resolution, confidence, communication with your family and your friends, all kinds of great lessons. And then there's a practice to practice for that celebratory 5K at the end of the season. So it's goal setting and, you know, things that maybe a third grader would think, I can't run 3.1 miles, that's a long way. But basically going through and, and setting goals and, and learning bit by bit how to get to where they need to be. Also, each team, they learn that they do serve an important part in their community and they have the ability to change or provide service to others. So each team engages in a community service project as well. It is a wonderful organization. It's actually a national organization, but I'm board chair of the council that serves Sussex, Hudson, Passaic, and Bergen counties. So we're New Jersey North. I couldn't be happier uh, having become so intimately involved in the organization. It's wonderful. I highly recommend whoever's listening to go on our website and check it out. It is really amazing. I'll give, Should I give the website address? Okay, it's www.academy.com. G-O-T-R-N-J-N.org. That's org, And check it out. I just glow when I talk about it. <laughs> yeah,
0: you are glowing. Thank you, Tiffany.
2: This show is proud to offer free and open
0: access to learning about psychology to listeners all over the world. If you have found any value from this or other episodes and would like to support the production costs of this show,
1: visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash dr alexandra that's
0: dr alexandra to buy her a coffee leave a comment or share show ideas also support the show by leaving an awesome rating on itunes click on the psychology america icon in your phone click see all episodes and scroll down to the very bottom to find ratings and reviews